The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I never felt safe. Now that I know what safety feels like and that it's even a thing, I, I never felt safe. I always felt scared. And so part of this whole journey has been liberation. I don't want that. That might be my history, but that is not going to be my future. Hi, everybody. It's Kat Sadler, and this is It Sure Is a Beautiful Day. I've spent decades in TV broadcasting and conducted hundreds, if not thousands, of interviews in the span of my career. And on this show, the conversations continue. My goal is that every episode feels entirely brand new, but also like coming home. Let's get into it. Hi, I'm Kat, and it sure is a beautiful day. This is my podcast. It comes out every week, every Tuesday to be exact. If you are new to the show, go back and listen to some of the other episodes because, damn, we're off to a good start in 2023. We've got a series, if you missed it this month, from two remarkable interior designers, well-respected, super successful in the design world, Amber Lewis of Amber Interiors, Maggie Holiday from Claude Home, and today another fascinating woman who happens to be one of my dearest friends. How lucky are we? Tara Schuster, author of Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies, and now dropping her brand new book, Glow in the Fucking Dark. Today is drop day. Her book is now available. And I could not be happier. A, she's my friend. She deserves all the success. If you read her first book, you just know how witty and intelligent and deep and engaging her words are. But just for you guys to hear the wisdom that this woman is putting down. And let me tell you, she has been through it. And when I say been through it, this is a little girl who grew up where things came to die. She'll tell you that story. Child protective services in her home, both of her parents incapable without the tools to raise their children properly, could barely keep them alive, if that tells you anything. So a very, very disturbing upbringing but Tara decided to reparent herself. She got out of Google Doc. She went to work and she started her healing process. That's what brought her to her first book. Her second book is what happens after the healing begins. And maybe some of you can relate. It's like the more work you do on yourself, you actually have more space to even tackle even the more traumatic parts of yourself that have been neglected or that have not been reconciled. And that's how this second book came to be. So many wonderful, actionable bits of advice for you guys about journaling, about movement, about nature. I mean, her stories with, she fucked her rabbi, basically. I mean, her stories are comedy. I, I think that's what makes it all resonate so much. It's like, she's one of us. She has got some stories, but it's what she has learned from these experiences and what she's doing with all of this now that's just so, so powerful and so, 
so cool to see. We took a lot of walks during the pandemic. We happened to be neighbors as well. And and a lot of the stories that are in the book and a lot of the bits we talk about today were things we were talking about when we were masked up and walking six feet away from each other during the pandemic, when at the time I was going through my horrible breakup and she was finding her way. We were kind of surviving during those darker days during COVID. It's all in this conversation. Tara came over here to the house and we just, we go in, we go in, we drop deep. I think you're going to love it. Her book again, Glow in the Fucking Dark is available now. You want to go to her Instagram. You want to get the book. You want to subscribe to her newsletter. She never misses a week. You can even text her. So make sure to go to her website and get all the info on that. We'll have in the show notes as well. So love you guys. Can't wait to hear what you think of this episode. Please, please tag me on social. Please let me know what you think. Please share the show with any of your friends or loved ones that you know would benefit from hearing this conversation. Here she is. You guys, Tara Schuster is on the show today. Welcome to It Sure is a Beautiful Day, my friend. My friend, I already have tears in my eyes. I love you so much and I'm so happy to be here with you. And, you know, it's so funny because like, you know, all the things that happened in the book, you were part of my guide through all of this. So it just feels special and like miraculous, you know, to be here with you. Well, I love your words so much. Like I always knew I loved your words, but even just hearing you say them now and having read the book, I'm just like, wow, miraculous. Yes, special, of course, but guide. I don't know that I was your guide. You, on some stuff around guys. Well, when we you took, definitely had some talks, girl, yes, didn't we? Yes, didn't we? On that in particular, I felt like you were my guide. Well, isn't that... There's some irony there, (laughs) seeing as though we have shared just about every story there is to share about our mm, toxic relationships. But the crazy thing is, I think for people listening to know what they're going to get here in this conversation, I think it's beautiful because I feel like we're really at similar points with our healing. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Yes. And so I want to remind everybody how we met, first of all, and and you guys already know this if you're listening, because I've already told you in the introduction, Tara is a a best-selling author, buy yourself the fucking lilies, and now glow in the fucking dark. So already we have license to say fuck, fuck, fuck (laughs) all the way through this podcast. So just know what you're getting. But we met because you were here at my home, exactly where we are today, except for now in my studio, in my bedroom when you were releasing your first book. We had never met. And at the time, you were an executive at Comedy Central. You were working in the entertainment industry. But just frame up at that point, and for people who didn't read your first book, even though it's worldwide, y'all, global (laughs) phenomenon, but just in case you were sleeping on it, that book is really, really about you reparenting yourself after a terribly traumatic childhood, disorder, chaos, turbulence, not feeling safe, and then sharing a lot of what you learned along the way. Does that feel like a long time ago or does that feel like yesterday? Feels like a decade ago. Does it? Because... Not only was that, it was our first conversation, but it was one of the first podcasts I had ever done in my life ever. Mm -hmm. And I had never talked about myself. I was, like you said, like a suit. Like I was a corporate executive at Comedy Central and I ran shows like Key and Peele and they're like fun shows, but I was still a corporate person. And so I had never talked about myself publicly. It's weird. I can remember it like it's yesterday because it was like we instantly vibed. Yeah. So I remember that. 
and it feels like 10 years ago because I know you so much better now. Like mm-hmm. now we're friends. Yes. Like, then yes. it was just like, oh. Yes. And that was pre-pandemic. Yes. We lived through a pandemic and we realized that Tara and I were neighbors and yes, yes we became friends. So then that was such a place of solace for both of us, I think, during the yeah. pandemic because we walked. That was our yes. thing. We took walks And we were just the like all of you. We were a little like, do we wear a mask? Do we hug? What do we do? Should we walk five feet apart? Like, but we did it. We figured it out. Yeah. And those, those weren't just like walks about nothing. Those were walks where we just like went deep. Like I feel like every single time. Walks of the soul. Yeah. We would get a coffee. And you're right. I remember one time where we didn't know if we could hug each other. We wore masks at the very beginning, Mm -hmm. like even when we were outside. I'm so grateful that I met you exactly at the moment I met you, that we realized we were neighbors and that we had those walks to to dive deep because we were both on such similar journeys. Oh my gosh. And people who listen to this show know that, you know, I went through a real phase there where I was coming out of, you know, one of the worst relationships of my life. And when we met, you know, I was still like, I was still at that phase where like, okay, I can do no contact. I can, I can break the cycle. You know, what can I do? I was in therapy at the time. You, you were in a couple different phases throughout, but I definitely did get an, I guess, an insider (laughs) peek and ear to the stories about the many guys in your life that you have (laughs) renamed in the book, which is so fun to read. You guys are going to love this book. You're so funny, Tara. Like how you have woven in like such really raw, serious, important, meaningful topics with just like, I was like, oh my God, crying, laughing, laughing, crying. (laughs) All of your asterisks that you put at the ends of the pages, like I I feel like you were just sitting across from me talking and I think that's gonna really resonate with people because you're gonna be their best friend in an instant. Thank you. Tell me how glow in the fucking dark came to be. Cause you know, here you are, you release this book. It does so well. You're coaching people. You're giving advice. You're doing all the things you're speaking. You're going around. You create this huge community of followers and fans that like are sitting on your every word, reading your newsletter, but you're still hurting and yep. you still have healing to do. And you're yeah. still in many ways dying inside, like yeah. not to be dramatic, but that no. is the truth. And that's what ends up on the page of this book. So take us through kind of what you were going through and how that was turning into your next offering. Absolutely. So first book, Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies, is basically how do you find stability after a mess wreck disaster childhood? Like I was such a mess and my emotions were in such a slingshot and I thought so little of myself. I mean, that was the the message I received from my childhood is you are worthless. And that's what buying yourself the fucking lilies is about, is about doing things to honor yourself, treating yourself well, even if the entire world hadn't treated you that way. And so that was a five-year journey of reparenting myself. That's like 25 to 30. And when I came out of it, I was like, oh my God, I'm a stable adult. Like who knew stability existed? And right at that point where I had found the stability, I was healthy enough for my darkest traumas to come to the surface because I had not been healthy enough. And now those things, they knew there was space. They knew I could handle it. They started bubbling up. And so how glow in the fucking dark came to be is I was laid off from my job at Comedy Central. 
And I had to ask myself, who am I when someone else is not defining me? You know, who am I without external validation? And like, is there an essential me or did she get run over by my childhood? Like, does she still exist? And, And so losing the job, I had worked there one third of my life. When people introduced me, it was Tara Schuster, Comedy Central. Like it was my married last name. You know, but it, and that was your family. You oh, believed. Oh, 100%. I thought my boss was my dad. I had a work mom. I, I really centered my whole identity around them. But what I realized was that it was just a magic trick. It was like a look over here, folks, glimmery, like, look at this magic trick. Don't look at this quarter century of complex trauma that we've got over here. So that's really the beginning of Glow in the Fucking Dark was I realized without the job, I basically wasn't a person. And I actually, you might remember this, I was in such a bad state that I, I'm i like a hustler. Like if I'm not hustling, I feel like I'm not being. So right after I got laid off, I just Googled, how can I help in the 2020 election? Because I like needed meaning, right? I remember because I think you were like, do you want to go to Arizona? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, you go do You're that like, for us. Oh yeah, I totally did. <laughs> yes. yes, I remember that. Yeah. 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 And so I, I, Basically, the first search result was, you can help register voters in Arizona. Packed up my Prius of doom, made sure I had the Vitamix, moved to Arizona, and it was on the road moving to Arizona where I had a full-on dissociative episode. I'm talking like my hands, I know they're my hands. They're on the steering wheel. I can recognize my rings. They feel alien. They feel like they belong to somebody else. I felt like if you've had a dissociative episode, you feel the color green. You feel like everything in you wants to come out. And so I, I couldn't drive that way. I pulled over the side of the road, which was the first time I had ever decided to pull over and not just try to like overwhelm my way through something. And it was, I was lucky enough to look up at the stars, which as you know, in LA, we basically <laughs> never get to see stars. Yeah, unless they're on Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And as I looked up at them, I just wondered, you know, nobody ever says stars are bad. Nobody's ever like stars have moral failings and need to do more in order to be loved. I just wondered, can I be like that? Like this is bleak. This is dark. This is a dark moment. Can I somehow find the power not only to just like be here, but to thrive and to glow? And so that's the question of this book is who is essential me and how do I bring her out? Mm. And you, thank God, you had that moment and you did pull over because it propelled you to essentially do more work, but yeah. work on yourself. And And not that you hadn't done that before. I mean, you'd done your therapy. You'd had the therapist. I feel like you are a seeker. You look for tools. You're always looking for tools. You're always, even though you talk so much shit about them, it's hilarious. (laughs) Like, I love how you're like, the fucking meditating, you know? You're like, I don't get it, you know? I love that you've gone through all of the processes and you've questioned them and and that's all in the book, which is great. All right, friends, so listen, I get it. Man, I get it. We got the house chores. We got the business to run. We've got to head from one meeting to the next. We're taking care of the kids. We've got the demands of our after work gatherings. I mean, the list goes on. Our animals. My God, our animals. If you've heard about my drama lately. So listen, I understand wanting to get to the end of your day and taking the edge off. But if we're really being honest with ourselves... 
One drink can lead to two, to lead to three, and we end up feeling worse than we did before. We have those ill effects of alcohol, especially the next day when you want to feel good, but you got foggy brain or you got a headache or you just don't have as much energy as you normally do. Yes, I'm totally promoting non-alcoholic consumption of beverages this year, and I'm back to tell you more about Monday because it's really, really been a hero for me. Monday's non-alcoholic craft spirits, they include mezcal, gin, and whiskey. These drinks look, feel, and even taste like all of our favorite beverages, so we can imbibe in all those yummy flavors that we love. Maybe the mezcal, it's smoky, and it's got a little pepper. It's like like having a traditional cocktail without the fear of all those ill effects that alcohol brings. You guys have to try this. You know I got a code for you, drinkmonday.co slash cat. You're going to get 15% off your order. I'm telling you, just give it a whirl. Even if you don't exclusively do non-alcoholic cocktails, it's a way to, you know, maybe cut your alcohol intake in half. So try it. Let me know what you think. Let me know which is your fave. Again, drinkmonday.co slash cat for 15% off. Not to give the whole book away because we want people to go and, and pick it up, but you, you separate the book into three parts. It's heal, grow, grow and glow. In that first part of healing, I think the journaling piece is really powerful because mm. that's something I feel like everybody can do. Yeah. And it's free to them. And I, I'd never seen it explained so well and how you mm. break out like how to journal so that it's effective and what it essentially is. And yeah. you describe that, you know, journaling is actually just getting to your feelings finally and being yes. allowed to feel your feelings. Yes. How is journaling helped you heal and and how can people maybe approach it where it finally is effective for them? Yeah. Well, first off, I am cynical about every tool. Any Anybody who tells me, oh, this light box is going to help you or, oh, this whatever new form of therapy, I'm like, bitch, I don't think so. <laughs> like, how could that work? I'm super cynical, but I'm also super curious. So when I try, I, gen I generally, I'm just like one over. So journaling is a perfect example. A friend suggested it to me when I was just in a very bad place in my life. It was actually during the time of when I was reparenting myself. And almost immediately, I realized that journaling was a free, amazing form of therapy. And now I see it as something even deeper. I see it as my own safe place. You know, the world is so chaotic and so actually dangerous. Like if you feel anxious and in fear in this world, yes, of course, the planet is burning, oppression of every kind. I mean, it's not great out there. Mm -hmm. And so in my journal, I can, I can be my own narrator. I can say whatever I want. Nobody's offended. I can't speak out of turn. And I've also realized that I really need to dig deep and find how I actually feel. Yeah. Because I think most of us are, we think our emotions are good, bad, sad, tired. 
Yeah. You know, that that like yeah. speaks to the whole human condition. Mm-hmm. And so in the book, it's I It's a good actually, day, it's a bad day. Yeah, I'm, I'm stressed, up, I'm, down. Yeah. I'm fine. And so in the book, I include an emotion wheel so you can actually dig deep to figure out how do I actually feel today, which is a huge improvement because if you know how you actually feel, you can help yourself. You know, first off, you might choose a different reaction or a different way to be that day. But also there's a lot of research that just labeling your emotion, like simply knowing yeah. is hugely therapeutic and helpful. So a journal for me is like the perfect place to do that. So it's kind of as simple as feel your feelings, which is what we hear all the time, like feel your feelings. And when you don't, they always turn into something yes. worse. Feel them, but write them down. So yes. your method of journaling is to write how you feel yes. every day. How much every time day. do you spend doing that? So I do three pages of handwritten journaling and the, each one starts with today I feel that, that, that. Look at the emotion wheel, figure it out. How do I feel today? And then I go into just like random thoughts. I don't use prompts aside from how do I feel today? Yeah. Although I've been journaling for so long, I probably need to. <laughs> I probably need some like fresh uh, questions. Are you still doing that? You still do? Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. 10 years. Damn. And I can just tell you it's made an enormous difference because it forces you to be self-aware. Yeah. You cannot, like, even if you're lying to yourself and lying to your journal Mm. over the course of 10 years, you can't keep up that act. Yeah. Like, good luck to you. Yeah. So even if it was just to get self-aware enough that you had any perspective, Mm -hmm. journaling is, it's Mm -hmm. a, gift. And I thank God it, you know, it's cheap. Like yeah, we could exactly. all journal. Exactly. I don't know anyone who's ever journaled to say it didn't help. Like if oh, you actually are doing it, you're doing it consistently, you're disciplined about it. It works. It just does. No one says it doesn't. And if you say like, oh, but I can't, or I don't want to, or I don't have time, just try, try like one page three times a week. Try even maybe even smaller, try three lines one day and keep, you know, you, you add, once you um, attain one goal and you start to feel proud of yourself, you mm-hmm. do more and you mm-hmm. do more. And then it feels so weird not to journal. Yes. Like to me now, I know something's off yes. and I feel like I'm not fully present if mm. I don't journal. It's kind of, I feel about hot yoga. Yeah. I've been, I've been off for like 10 days and I'm like, I, you just, it's a feeling, but you have to, the key is paying attention to those feelings, right? Yes. If you know it's off, then you got to get back. Yes. It's, it's staying and, on track. And like luxuriating in how it feels when you do hot yoga. So you actually feel, oh, right. This is good. Yes. This is a full body. Yes. Yes. So that you notice when you don't have a full body. Yes. I love your full body. Yes. <laughs> Total aside about journaling, but have you seen the Pamela Anderson documentary yet? Yes. <gasps> she journaled yeah. her whole life. And um, it's unbelievable, but that's like the power of journaling. She can now travel back in time. She's a freaking time traveler. And don't you, and like, to me, my mind was blown because I was like, this is what I'm saying. Her interior was so different. There were so many different feelings and stories. And it's just such a, wow. Like, I'm sure she's ecstatic she was a journaler. Yes, I was literally so envious because I was like, God, to be able to revisit yeah. and then to reflect on your feelings in that moment in time actually probably helps you make more sense of it later. Absolutely. Too, if Absolutely. you're going to write like a narrative journal, which she really did. And she kept them. I mean, that was impressive. I, I love that documentary. I loved it. It was too. so good, you guys. Watch it if you have not seen it. 
But some other topic, speaking of feelings, in the heal portion of the book, I love when you discuss anxiety because mm. in today's society, you know, a lot of us that are seeking, a lot of us that are doing personal growth and working on ourselves, you know, anxiety comes up. It affects all of us. Yeah. But I love how you figured out what your anxiety was stemming from and yeah. where it was coming from. And I think it was the prompt of one of your therapists that was just like, you're pissed, Tara. Yeah. <laughs> you might be anxious, but it's you're pissed off. You're furious. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're mad and rightfully so about so much of what was going on yeah. in your life. Take us through maybe how people can approach their anxiety differently. Because again, I mean, who doesn't suffer on some level? Totally. And I also would say that I think women are often just given the label of she's anxious, mm -hmm. like almost like she's hysterical. Like I think that's the new mm -hmm. hysterical is she's anxious because in a lot of contexts, then you can just dismiss someone, mm -hmm. you know, which is to say nothing of actual anxiety. I just think it sometimes really misused that label. Mm -hmm. But for me, you know, what you were just talking about, I was dating somebody, Liam, and he was like this larger than life, great Gatsby-esque character who talked with a transatlantic accent, you know, like, hello, old chap. Like, who says that? Shoosty. Shoosty. My oh shoosty baby. Had I known he had those pet names for you, I would have told you. I would have gotten in the middle of the two of you immediately. You left that detail yeah. out. He, and like he immediately was like trying to have kids with me. And immediately he was love bombing me, which is, I didn't even know was a term, but, you know, take me to dinner, buy everything on the menu, but like literally always had a gift, always had a something. And if I'm honest about why I was into him, it was because I was obsessed with his obsession with me. I just wanted more of him liking me. And so I let everything else go. He told half truths all the time, like truly about everything so that I always felt a little off kilter, you know, and small things like he said he bought his house. I knew he rented it. Suffice to say, yeah. there were a lot of things that were just untrue. Mm -hmm. So I felt kind of crazy the whole time. And I went to my psychiatrist because my friends begged me to. I was so anxious and I was also ashamed because I, you know, I had written this whole book on, on self-care and what now I need pills. Isn't that a shortcut? I shouldn't do this. Shouldn't I be better than this? No, pills are a, you wouldn't tell somebody, you know, with diabetes or any other condition, like you're too weak, like don't yeah. take a medication. Right. So I go to the psychiatrist to deal with the anxiety and I tell her the whole story of Liam and she looks me dead in the eye and she says, I don't think you're anxious. I think you're furious. And it was like blast off in my mind. I was like, oh my God, mind blown. The moment she said I knew, I knew it was true that I was actually super, super angry at him, angry for how I was being treated, angry for how I had been treated in the past by a lot more men. And it was what I thought was anxiety was me trying to push it down, push my anger down and oppress it and pretend that it didn't exist. That has the feeling of anxiety, but actually is not anxiety. And so one of the things I now do, yes, we all have anxious moments. I can say with a lot of pride, I have less than I've ever had in my life because I ask what's under this anxiety. Am I anxious or am I actually like so sad and fearful and worried about something? Am I anxious or am I actually hungry? Which sounds so stupid, but actually a good friend of mine, Dr. Ellen Vora, she wrote a whole book on anxiety and 
food, just not having food yeah. can make you feel anxious. So you're not nurturing yourself. It's absolutely. all related to in some way, self-love or lack thereof yes. and taking care of ourselves, yes. even if someone else, else can't. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking furious at him for all the obvious reasons, but maybe furious at yourself that you're still yeah. in yes. that exchange with somebody, yes. right? Like I, I recall those feelings so vividly that yeah. Yeah, he's a dick. Yeah, he cheated on me. Yeah, he did A, B, and C. But I was mad that I was still hanging around yeah. for more of that. Yeah. Mad at myself. Yeah. Which isn't a great, you know, you don't want to have that relationship with yourself for too long. And you want to be gentle and compassionate. And I know all the things we're supposed to do and feel. But maybe that was in there somewhere too for you. Oh, absolutely. Why was I with somebody who I knew to be a narcissist? Like it was so obvious. It was so obvious that he had so many problems that had like truly nothing to do with me. Like his clothes were falling apart. There's a lot I don't say in the book. Again, I get for legal reasons. Yeah. But I mean, he was just a walking mess. And because the walking mess flattered me, I stayed. And that doesn't make me proud, but that is what really happened. And so afterwards, yeah, I was furious at myself. How could I do this yet again? Like, what is wrong with me? You but know? the good news is it propelled you to ask those questions because yes. we we get there eventually. Men, relationships, and your dad. Mm. Because you start talking, you know, even in this conversation today, but also in the book, just about never feeling safe. Yeah. And you very much parented both of your parents. Yeah. I was, I mean, I, I did cry reading some of the stories. I mean, the story in the limo, which was mm. supposed to be the best day of your life. And then you've got your mom just talking to, I don't, how old were you then when your mom is, I you tell it, the story. One of the biggest lessons that I learned from this whole book and this whole experience is time does nothing for trauma. Like time only gives it wrinkles. If it exists, it's there. It's playing in the background of everything. And so for me, one of my earliest memories is I'm around five and I'm in a limo going to LAX and I'm like, oh my God, I'm in a limo. This car is incredible. There are like crystal glasses and benches and weird, remember that like those track lighting things that oh, you yeah, see now? Like the whole thing. And my mom bought me a faux fur like black coat. So I'm just like, I am the most glamorous person who has ever existed. This is the best day of my life. And my mom asks me to come sit next to her and she starts pulling out cards and she says, do you know what these are? No. These are the cards of the prostitutes your dad is having sex with. And like five. So I don't really, I don't think I really knew what that meant. And she says, he doesn't love me. He doesn't love you. And, th and then I was like, okay, no. Like this I know, like, no, daddy loves me. I know he loves me. Oh, yeah? Well, he wanted you to be aborted. I'm the only one who wants you. I'm the only one who loves you. That must have an effect on you. To be told oh by God. your mother oh that your God. father didn't want you to be alive and to do it in this weird, also sexualized way about why are we talking about prostitutes? Like this is so not what a five-year-old can handle. And so it was only through revisiting these, these moments that actually, these moments could come up because I was healthy enough to deal with them. Mm. At other points in my life, they would have overwhelmed me mm. and pushed me too far. Mm. But as I grew healthier through all of this healing that I was on in, in glow in the fucking dark, I could face something like that. And today 
I get like a one second well up of tears. Five years ago, it would have been like, oh, day ruined. That that memory was too horrible. We should tell everyone that unless it's changed, you don't have a relationship with your mom. No. So I have not spoken to my mom in something like 15 years. She is unwell in some way, or maybe I would say she treats me in a way that is not safe for me. And so I cut off contact with her. However, recently I've been working on maybe reaching out to her because now I have so much compassion for her because I've seen other little kids. Like mm -hmm. I sometimes babysit my best friend Fish's kids. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I want to do is protect them and love them and play with them and be a part of bath time and not get annoyed when they scream at me because they want more crackers. You know, I'm like, you're little, you don't mm -hmm. know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. The fact that my mom looked at me and treated me the way she did, mm -hmm. what suffering must she have gone through? Like what was going on inside of her head? And oh my God, that she lost my love. How painful would that be as a mother? How, how horrible. And so I have so much more compassion for what she went through and protection of me because I have compassion for what I went through. And I am now toying with the idea of just reaching out mm. to give her another chance. And it's more about that. It's more about, did I do everything in my power mm. to leave a door open? That if she did work, and it's more just to honor that she's a human mm. and that she must be very miserable in her mind. And maybe like, I don't know, it's it's a hope, right? That That she would maybe be reasonable. Does your sister have a relationship with her? Yeah. Okay, so your sister does. Look at that. that must be all so complicated oh, for yeah. you guys because yes. I know you are speaking with your dad and yes. that's been a, a, a high point of like this real healing effort for the two of you and he's been going to therapy and yeah. how's that going? So the beginning of COVID, I stopped talking to my dad, which he had been my only parent, the only adult in my life. It had been a very difficult relationship, but I always kind of had my dad. I stopped talking to him because he used to really overburden me with his problems and I just couldn't help him. I, I, I like I couldn't even hear him anymore. He had taken up so much of my brain space and I knew that I needed to do my own healing and that to do that, I could not have him on my mind. So I said, dad, I love you. And for this reason, because talking to you is grinding me down, I'm I'm not going to talk to you for a little while. I'm going to figure out my own stuff. He was not happy about that. Two, year, two years pass, he gets COVID. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be there to support my dad. You know, screw this, whatever. We'll get to healing later. Let me talk to my dad. And I found out the craziest, the, to, the, this was shocking to me, that he had been in therapy for the previous two years to answer the question, why isn't my daughter talking to me? And he had grown into such a different person. You know, my old dad would never tell me he was proud of me, would tell me I was financially doomed. This new version of my dad said, I'm proud of you. I, I'm not worried for you ever. You're so smart. You're so talented. And I'm like shocked to hear these things. So you know, and I also don't want people to think if you draw a boundary, the other person will change. Like that very rarely happens. 
but I honestly feel like it is a gift from God. One thing I was given that my dad is healing. So amazing and so beautiful and so big of you because, you know, I think maybe there are people listening, people can relate to tarnished relationships with their parents and stuff, but like you are not over-exaggerating when we just described just how bad it was for you. I mean, child protective services were involved in your childhood. I mean, you were genuinely neglected as a little girl. So it's very, very big of you to hear that. And it is so hopeful to hear that, you know, the possibilities, the miracle of of what love, I guess, can do. And healing is real and it is possible. And God, you've done so much work, Tara. In the book, I'm just reminded of, first of all, the amount of books you have read, because I've read (laughs) some too, but I'm like, she, you've read so many books. You're learning about so many systems. You're learning about the meditating. You're learning about, you know, the psychiatrist, the therapist, the, you know, all the things. Yeah. You've certainly made every effort to learn yourself. Yeah. But in turn, repair some of of the wrongs, I guess. Yeah. And, and you have taken that on. So I really do applaud you for that because a lot Thank of people you. could just sit with that or just be mad about that forever. But it is so beautiful what's coming from it as your friend and just as uh, somebody, people listening, you know, it is possible. It is. It is possible. And I just, if people haven't read the first book to kind of give context to what you're just saying, I grew up in a house where things came to die. Yeah. You know, the plants, the pets, my sister and I were not nurtured. It was a literally dangerous environment where the all the walls were torn open, the ceilings were open, there were constant mudslides, constant stress, verbal abuse between my parents, sometimes directed at me, and this message that we were financially doomed and nothing was ever going to get any better. And like one of my first memories period is of a car repossession. I never felt safe. Yeah. Now that I know what safety feels like and that it's even a thing, I I never felt safe. I always felt scared. And so part of this whole journey has been liberation. I don't want that. That might be my history, but that is not going to be my future. And I own it. I own all of it. Maybe I wasn't to blame, but it did happen. And unless I'm the one to take responsibility for it, I'm never going to find freedom. So that's what this is, why I read all these books, why I do this work is for liberation from my past so that I can be myself and not just a reaction to trauma. Like I can be me. And I really hope that people take away a lot of optimism from this because it's possible. It it really, really is. It just, you have to work on it. Yes. You know, because I didn't do anything more than that. There wasn't some magic spell that was like cast upon me. It was simply diving deep, feeling how I actually felt and bringing healing actions, not just thoughts about healing actions, not just, oh, one day I'll do that. I'll learn how to meditate, like actually doing the thing. Like fucking your rabbi. (laughs) (laughs) Not my rabbi, but a rabbi. Um, I do want to, because I want to tie that together, how you view now, because I, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but this manifested, a lot of your past manifested in your romantic relationships with men. And now that you're healing this relationship with your dad and knowing that you've actually kind of awakened to some of the bad patterns and the bad choices, frankly, and like ignoring the red flags and all the things, girl, which you know, I was right there with you. And so I know 
to some degree what you've been through, and you can tell the rabbi's story here in a minute, but how do you now frame that kind of string of, of terrible relationships yeah. and where is your head now? Yeah, that 15-year ride of abusive person after abusive person. There were some fine people in there too, To if one of them is listening. There, you were great. There were some that were great. <laughs> but the vast majority were people who were narcissists, mm-hmm. um, very empathetic. So I thought, oh, I'll heal them. They just need me. And if I can heal them, if I can make them better, then they'll love me and I'll know I'm needed. You know, it's, it's just exactly what I wanted from my dad, right? That I would help him. And then one day he would think I was a worthy person. So I was just trying to prove this over and over with people who really reminded me of my dad. And not to cut you off, but like, that is such a textbook thing we all hear. Like any, you don't even have to do any work to know, oh, girls like with daddy issues, they go and like try to like find what they never got from their dad. As smart and intelligent as you are, that's how, that's how serious the pull is, or I guess how impactful the trauma is, is that it's like in our systems, it's in our nervous systems. It's in, it like completely envelops us where as, look at you, you're a successful executive. You're now a published author, like all the things, but, but still same deal. Like I was on TV for 20 years. I had a successful career, have, (laughs) Um, Have, but like I was in my personal life choosing so poorly. Like that's how that's just how strong the power of all those dynamics are and how they can really take over your life. How obvious it may seem to others, but how you can get so stuck there. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's as if you're living in a trance. Yeah. You could be the most successful, intelligent, put together, mentally healthy on every other level. And then this one thing, your mm-hmm. attachment, yeah. it like messes up every other aspect of your life, every relationship you enter into. And so even as I was writing a book on self-care, I was dating people like the rabbi. You know, I was dating, which I can talk about, but I was dating the wrong people who, in retrospect, what I see is I didn't care about being in love so much as I cared about not being abandoned. That was what I was looking for. That's it. And in many of those relationships, you left first. Exactly. All of them, basically. So you couldn't be left. I couldn't be left. So I would choose somebody that I knew was problematic, that I would never be intimate with, but that would be a body, Mm -hmm. would be with me for some amount of time. And I'd usually get like one thing out of the relationship, like Mm -hmm. everything from compliments to a Sono sound system. (laughs) I'm not (laughs) going to lie. Yes. But- It was like this one thing that I was going to get and I was going to put up with terrible behavior. And then I was going to get so upset and angry and like forlorn and all the emotions that I would in a blazing fire, you know, just say no and break up with the person in a huge breakup scenario. So, you know, after you do that three times, maybe you, you pay attention. I can't even tell you how many times I did that and couldn't help myself, even kind of knew it and couldn't help myself. Do you ever look at that as like the universe was trying to teach you your lesson? You just weren't ready to learn the lesson? I have no idea what it was. I think of it as like hell was holding me or like I was stuck under the ocean and the Mariana Trench, like the deepest part where we don't even know what's down there. Yeah. I felt like drowning 
being yeah. pulled down. That yeah. was, and like, and like, I couldn't see, like I couldn't figure out yeah. how to get out of it. It's like you're blind sometimes. Yes. It's like you actually have been blinded. Like I'm thinking about, I, I know the real names of these guys, yeah. so I'm trying to remember <laughs> what we call them in the book, but I'm thinking about the great Gatsby guy yeah. and how you came to me. I remember we had some some coffee oh, over this yes. guy because I I I had kind of gotten to the other side of my shyster guy yes. who did lie to me and did tell half truths and also was, you know, not loyal and all of these things. And and I just got such a bad feeling when you're describing like this because you were you liked him. You wanted yeah, to like I wanted him. To like you him. really wanted to like him. Yeah. You wanted to feel safe. Like he had all of the exterior things mm -hmm. that you know, all the boxes checked a lot were of checked. Boxes. Exactly. Yeah. But he was just doing so many questionable things. And I just I smelled it so I was like, uh-uh, Tara. I remember this, this. time. No, because it, it was starting to feel dangerous to me. It was that conversation where you said, This is dangerous. Yeah. I like as your friend, I just I, I think this is dangerous and this is probably not a good person. And I would actually I think that night I like also changed all my passwords and stuff. Good. Because that that conversation was a turning point because sometimes I disregard my own safety. Cause I I didn't learn I've I'm new to safety. I'm new to feeling like comfortable. So when a you know a close friend says to you like actually, I don't think this is safe. That was my wake up call to like, oh, I need to break this off. And that is exactly when I did break that off. Well, I'm glad you did because it's also easier said than done. Yeah. So bravo. Yeah, thank you. I only because you've been close to birthing this book and I have been admittedly a little on Love Island myself now that I'm in my new relationship. <laughs> I don't know what your current mm. dating <laughs> status is. So as this book is going to print, people, what's the story? Yes. So I, it's just so fun to talk to you because we have been having this conversation for years now. So when you took, you took a break from dating and I was like, I can't do that. I need a body. I need somebody to be with me. Kat's like, whatever. She's on a different part. I can't do that. Like, I was like, so like, I can't do that. But then you met someone and I saw like, huh, okay, Kat took a break and now has found someone she's madly in love with. Maybe I should take a break too. And so I took a break from dating for about a year. No flirting, no texting, no, like, I just want someone to cuddle me, which is which is what it always is, is I just want a body to hold my body. None of it. I started focusing even more, if that's possible, on healing and, you know, taking on a meditation practice with a meditation teacher, all these things. No dating apps, guys, which was big for you. Oh, that's my addiction. That's hard. When I feel bad, my behavior is download Hinge and get those sweet, sweet likes. That, that's of all the vices I have, that's the strongest. And I don't want to go on dates with any of these people. I just want them to validate me. And so I didn't for a year. A year in, I decided, okay, I'm ready to date again, but I'm not going to date online. I'm going to get a matchmaker. And so I found this woman, Sophie, a Sophie singer. Sophie Love is her, like, her service's name. And she, <laughs> she vets these people. She has a pre-interview with everybody because I don't want to go through the BS anymore. I'm really open. I feel like I've changed a lot. I've grown a lot and I want to find someone to grow with. And I now find the apps to be very dehumanizing. I mean, and I, and I was an active participant yes. in that, yeah. but I'm more and more convinced that like, like I went to a running club. The first day I went, four different guys 
were like, let's get coffee. So we all got coffee together. Like we think it's not possible to meet in real life anymore. It mm. is. You just have to go out to things. Yeah. You know, like this running club and shocking at the very beginning before the run, they said, how many people are single? Raise your hands. Oh, I was like, interesting. Like, oh, so other people are coming here for connection too? Oh. Ah, so there are ways to meet people in the real world. I'm doubling my chances of that IRL connection by having this matchmaker who, you know, she also pushes me. Yes. If she's like, is this your checkbox list? Or like, what are we even doing here? Maybe go out with him once because he actually is a kind person. Yeah. So it's been a very interesting so I don't, I'm not dating anyone. You're open. I'm open and I've gone on some very promising first dates. Amazing. I yes. love this. I yeah. love, this feels very, very good. And this feels healthy, which I know both of us or anybody listening who is anything like us, like that sounds terrible, right? <laughs> like healthy. You know, that used to be my thing is if it's like, yes, if I would go on a date and, and, and I, there weren't sparks or there wasn't chemistry, if he wasn't a bad boy, I would be checked out. And, totally. and that was exactly what Greg was not. No offense, Greg, you're so hot. And of course there's chemistry now, but he was so solid and he was so healthy that all of my past radars didn't go up. I thought this is not, you know, he's not gonna challenge me. Totally. He's gonna be more, you know, all these things. And it wasn't until our, you know, second, third date and that doesn't even sound like that long, but and I, because I know Greg listens to this, he was like, but I felt it on the first date. Well, I'm like, I felt it, but I, but I remember saying there weren't fireworks. Yeah. And, and when you are someone like myself or maybe like you, like, it's like, that's what you yearn for because yeah. that's what you knew, you yeah. know, turbulence or you're addicted to the chaos or that's, you know, that's, that's, that, that is almost your safety in a sense because it's what you know. Yeah, the uncomfortable becomes very comfortable and then anything else is like, oh, I don't like it. Exactly, it seems yeah. so foreign. Yeah. But you talk in the book too about rituals for mm. oneself. And mm -hmm. I wonder too, because, and that's what made me think of the word boring because you talk about if you can really create these rituals for yourself, these acts of self-love, like you can almost get to a place where like, wow, this is really boring, but that's such a good place to be because yeah. the alternative is spiraling out of control, yeah. high and low, crying, yeah. you know, so fucked up in your your relationship turmoil, you don't prioritize yourself. You don't, yeah. you're not loving yourself. And there isn't even time in the day to right. do anything for yourself that is good. And I had a therapist tell me, during that big year break where I wasn't dating anybody. And he's like, how are you today, Kat? And I was like, yeah, like I'm a seven or eight, like I'm a seven or eight. And he's like, we need you at a four <laughs> to six. Wait, I think I remember did this. Did I tell you this? Because yeah, it really bothered did. me. Yeah, I didn't yeah. understand it at the time. I totally remember this. Yeah. I was like, four to six. Like, like why? why? Who like, gets up to be a seven five? and eight is better. Exactly. Like, obviously. Yeah. You know? And, but I understand now what he meant. Yeah. There is a beauty. Yes, we'll still have highs and lows, and suffering is our teacher. And like we're, we're it's always going to be the the, yeah. the river, right? Flowing, right. flowing, flowing. But the beauty is, is that the weather doesn't affect us as much. Absolutely. And that if you can stay in that four to six spot, and if you're and and how do you get there? Yeah. These rituals, because you're protecting your energy, and yeah. and if you're consistent and disciplined, it's like that's like a beautiful shield. Yes. from all that other bad yes. stuff, yes. right? You know, the question like, what does it mean to glow? 
I think it's to recognize that you are internally good, like you are inside good, worthy. You don't need to do much else. And it's like all this other stuff that gets in the way, but that like in the very inside, you are essentially good. You're And you're actually made of stars, like not some cute thing to write on a mug, like I'm made of stars. No, like true, like carbon in your muscles, iron in your blood, stars. So it's really helpful for me to just remember when I'm feeling off kilter in a bad place, I'm like stars mm. at the very least that's in me at my most essential self. Mm. And the reason that these rituals are so important to me is because they set me up to be in that space more of the time. So my life is super duper boring. I wake up at the same time every morning. I Then I make the bed. Then I brush my teeth. Then I do my meditation. Then I journal. It's like everything is in order. And because that feels so safe, I can take creative risks. I can, you know, dive back into dating again. I think this world is so unreliable and particularly these days, so freaking scary and chaotic mm -hmm. that we need the comfort of rituals. Like it's not even about discipline at this point. It's, oh, right. I can I always, tomorrow morning is going to look the same way. I can start over. I can try again. What I can't do is live a million different ways and, you know, every day is a new disaster. Mm. Like, I don't want to do mm. that anymore. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. There's a part of the book that threw me for a loop a little bit. Mm. And and maybe it's because we are friends and, and, and of course I went straight to how I was feeling, which was a little guilty, but I mean, mm. you, you detail in this book, how very low you get to a point yeah. where you just don't want to live anymore. Yeah. And you go on a hike and are literally looking over the hill and getting close to the edge and just, you know, maybe giving up on it all. Yeah. And I really appreciate that you put that in the book as hard as that must have been to share and to talk about and for people listening, it's just, it's so raw and so real of you. Actually, I have to, I don't know if this is in re, in relation to that time in your life, but I thought this summed it up so much. You say, for years I had been working like hell to bring my emotional wounds to the surface so that I could tend to them, and in doing so, find freedom from my trauma. But I had never been strong enough or had enough space for the little abandoned five-year-old within me to claim her voice and tell me how she felt. She had lived alone for 35 years, locked within me, terrorized by her fears and hurt from abandonment, heartbroken and grieving the parental love she had never felt, furious at a world she thought was unjust and guilt-ridden that care was something reserved for other people probably better people. She was in pain, soul-destroying, hammering pain without a witness or someone to help her. But now, now that she could be safe with me, now that I had the resilience to hold her close to me and fill her pain with her, she could finally let out the torrent of emotions and whisper to me her darkest but totally rational secret. She wanted to end her agony. I just, that is so beautifully said. And I don't know, I just was rocked by those words and how you got to that place. Yeah, thank, thank you. God, because you. you 
you found the space and now she has a witness. Yeah, yeah. It. I mean, the hardest thing to share by far is my proclivity for suicidal ideation. It's something that scares me. Mm-hmm. When I was reading the audiobook, I couldn't, when, when you listen to the audiobook, please know that every two words, essentially, we had to stop so I could croak it out mm. and they could string it all together. And, you know, at this, at that point in my life, I've had three instances where I would consider it serious. And this was one of the most serious incidents. I had been dating a rabbi that I had known for a really long time. And there was something about that he was close to God and I wanted to be close to God and that, you know, somehow he was going to save me. And we didn't get along at all. And I actually, we were like opposites in every way. I said, do you want to go take a walk in Hancock Park? He'd say, why would we look at rich people's houses? You know, like we're, <laughs> we're not meant to be. And so I broke up with him, like over text, like I always do. I broke up with him. And the moment I broke up with him, I started spiraling. That little girl in me, because she was now active. So in the past, she had just been so suppressed that I didn't really have access to her. But now she was active and she was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Then who's going to hold us? Who's going to be with us? We're going to be alone forever. Why would you do that? And I felt her like coming up and I... I think for that voice within me, why would that person want to live? That little girl in me had been through that limo incident, had been through living in a dangerous house. She had been through so much that all I could feel is compassion. She wants to end her suffering. And now I can hold that, 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 ah, you know, I am me, I'm an adult. And there's this little girl that I'm taking care of. But at that time, she just overwhelmed me and like hijacked my body and spirit. And it was so weird because I was the most mentally healthy I had ever been and in the absolute most danger I had ever been. And it freaked me out because ending my life felt so real. It felt like I could really do this. So it it scared the hell out of me. And only in retrospect can I see Oh, you know, people say people who kill themselves, whatever, they must be crazy. They they must be lifelong problems and depression and they were selfish. And my whole message is just try to put yourself in the shoes of somebody who would be contemplating that. When people say, oh, I can't imagine, imagine, Mm -hmm. imagine Mm -hmm. what would push you to that brink. And really what I needed was to be told that I was loved and that I was needed that I, it, more than anything, that I was needed. And when I kind of figured out, oh, that, like, I don't remember if I said that or my therapist, for whatever reason, those phrases, loved and needed. Oh my God, once my friends knew to tell me you're needed, I need you. I Like the world would be much worse without you, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That was when I could step back from that cliff edge, not quite a cliff, it's in Brentwood. So and that's a big part of it was like, if I'm just going to be paralyzed, I don't want to do this. But if it's like an instant death, yes, let's go for it. And so I try to like in the book also write a letter to anybody who's contemplating it in a hopefully much lighthearted way that, that really like speaks to, this is unspeakable. Even yeah. though we say that in mental health, oh, we can talk about anything, just be your authentic self. Mm-hmm. There is still unbelievable stigma 
towards suicidal ideation that is so toxic, saying things like, I can't imagine, they must have been selfish, those kinds of things. Mm. What does that tell your friend? When, when you talk about to your friend, I can't believe that person killed themselves. Like that was so crazy. That was so weird. If that person has any of mm. that in them, why would they ever tell you that they're in that boat? Yeah. You know, so yeah. for the sake of us all, I think we have to be a lot more compassionate with ourselves, mm -hmm. with our own suffering for how hard it is really to be a human so that when our friends come to us with their suffering, we recognize it, you know, and we can hold their hand. Oh, I know you, you speak about that, I think at the end of the book in the, in the glow portion. And I, I do love that. It, you speak to, I heal me because we are all connected because in turn, I'm essentially, if we all heal ourselves, we're healing each other. We're yes. healing the world. And, yes. and that in turn does create the empathy for others. Yes. It's kind of like you talking about your mom. Like for the first time, you're the most healed you've ever been on your journey. Yeah. And now you're seeing the possibility of repairing that somehow. And I'm yeah. sure that would look a kind of way with boundaries and you'd, it, it, you wouldn't just throw it all to the, you know, no. it would not think it through and you wouldn't have, you know, guardrails on the whole right. thing and you're going to go about it and approach it the right way. But you're seeing the possibility of what that yeah. can actually look like. Yeah. And, I, you know, to that, I, I get a lot of messages from people who have troubled relationships with their moms in particular and feel like nobody's talking about it and that it's like the most taboo thing. You're supposed to love your mom. How can you then tell your friends you're not talking to your mom? That makes you look bad. Mm -hmm. So I just want to be really clear. It took me 10 years of really intentional work to forgive her. Mm -hmm. I mean, truly. And I did not, I started at a place of hate and anger. And it is only because I know my own suffering that I can imagine what her suffering might be, that I am even able to contemplate this at all. And, you know, I think self-care has gotten a bad rap because it's been so commodified, you know, mm -hmm. like this sheet mask, like treat yourself. Like yeah. that's not what I'm talking about. You know, I'm talking about doing the work of healing yourself at the most fundamental part of you and that it necessarily becomes a part of your healing. Because, you know, I think we all have, are so isolated and there's this lack of belonging. But what I've come to realize, especially through that star metaphor, is all the science inside of me is the science inside of you. We are more the same person than we are not. And so when I don't heal myself, when I'm not showing up as a good, healthy person for you, that affects you. And, and so... I came to this very woo-woo like thought, which is we are all actually the same. We all have the same problems. And my healing is critical because I'm a part of this community, right? And if one member of the community is rotten or there's like a big problem, it infects yes. everybody else, you know? Yes. So it's, it's this interesting thing that people think self-help is for the weak or, mm. oh, it's so lame. No, you're and actually, it's, you're doing a service for the world. It, you really it, literally are. And like the strongest of yeah. all, because in America in particular, it's like, you're supposed to just pull yourself up by your bootstraps mm -hmm. and, and just go, go, mm -hmm. go, go, hustle, hustle, hustle. So if you actually say like, wait, I need help. Right. There's something not right with me. That is such a bold statement to make. That is one of the strongest things you can do and one of the 
most important things you can do for your community and the world. Amen. You're talking about radical honesty. That's a great starting point for anybody yeah. listening. If all of this, you've never been to a therapist, you've held it yeah. all in, you come from a family or you're in a culture where just nobody's doing this kind of work, just radical honesty. Yeah. It's like, be honest with yourself how you are feeling. Yeah. And then, yes, I hear more and more and more, like, I'll never forget when I went to Africa for the first mm. time and I feeling so melancholy because it's like, mm. yeah, we did some volunteer work, but but it's so big. It's so big. Yeah. How do I fix it? How can we do anything? I didn't do anything. I didn't even scratch up barely a surface yeah. on what the real problems were. And, you know, I wanted to make all this change. And, and the truth is like, th that is, it's back to what exactly what you said, go in. Like, Start with yourself. the best thing we can do, yeah. like, is just go in and do work on ourselves. And and that is something each of us can do. We have yeah. the ability to do all that other stuff is harder anyway and far more layered and complicated. But this is not to say that this is easy. No. <laughs> um, but it's it's where to start. I really yeah. do believe that. And I just want to say, when you said you wanted, you are needed, young lady. Mm -hmm. And this book, I mean, this yeah. is, I mean, again, regardless of what you believe in, I know you believe in your God, but I mean, I, the stories you're sharing and, and this book and these offerings, I hate to say like what you've been through and what you've endured and the level of pain and suffering, but somehow you're managing to, to, to mold it into an offering that I know, you know, has already affected so many people and that's going to continue changing people's lives. I want to ask you how the little girl is now, mm. like how's she doing? And, and do you have a name for her? Or is no, it just well, Tara? Little abandoned girl. Oh, and I can picture her always. So she's like sitting with her knees up to her chest like this and her head down. So I, I can picture her very well. It's so interesting that you ask that because this weekend I was actually in Seattle giving a talk and I was, because I'm dating again, this is where things get weird for me because mm. she gets activated. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, does he this? Does he that? Does he this? Does he that? And I was able to go on a walk with the little girl. So in my mind, I'm like, hey, you want to go for a walk? Let's hang out. I'm going to hold your hand. We're going to go in this forest and we're going to be together. Like, let's just put all that, all of our worry aside for a second. And you're not alone. I'm right here with you. And when I can remember to bring the little girl with me so that she no longer feels alone in the world, because mm. I'm there. I don't need a romantic partner for her to feel seen and like she has company. And, and so that that I have become much better at. And what's so weird is she's grown up more. Like I'd say she was like 10, <gasps> which I like is the greatest news of all time, you know, that she's Whoa. learning how not alone she is, how not, you know, she doesn't have to do any like, she doesn't have to be in survival mode anymore. That's so amazing. That is so cool. Let me just ask you finally, because you admittedly in the book talk so much about how you turn everything into work. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love the story when you're like, oh, what? I got a cubicle? Uh-uh. I'm going to create a conference room over here. I'm going to like, yep. I, I, I wish I would have known Tara in corporate world, Tara, because you sounded like somebody I could have used in my corner because you were a ball buster. You went for it. You, it, that, that's all kind of a, an aside. 
but even meditation, you're like, okay, yeah. project. Like you often approach things like it's work. Yeah. And so what's harder for you is the the being mm, yeah. versus the doing. Yeah. And I can relate in that, you know, I vividly remember my yoga instructor, who's kind of my guru, spiritual guru. I was reading all the books and I was doing all my journaling and I was doing my gratitude journal. I was doing my walks and I was doing, I was going through the because these are all the things you're supposed to do when you heal, right? Yeah. And I was doing all of that. And I remember being in yoga one day and he just was like, Kat, it's like, you did the work. <laughs> now, how about you just be? Yeah. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, like that's in you. You absorbed that, you digested that, you studied that, you practiced that. Now how about you just let that move through you and move through yeah. life and let it let it let it do the work and just be. Yeah. And I think that's hard for a lot of people. I mean, most people. Like even this podcast, I think doesn't even like connect with certain people because they they it just sounds like too heavy, too much, too yeah. too much work to think about the deep stuff in yeah. life. You yeah. know, we're all scrolling and everything's light and everything's superficial and it's yeah. bite sized reels and everything's poppy. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. But so to just be and yeah. and get into that four to six zone and to just kind of cruise a little and understand that that might actually be where the magic is. How are you doing with that? Are you able? Yeah. Are you better at that? Do you know, even know what I mean? Yeah, it's such a good point. You know, I, I think the line I have in the book is doing my undoing. You know, like I definitely subscribed to the creative hustle, which is like, well, your job should give you meaning and you should know every best restaurant in town and you should be the best friend to everybody and you should have the best luggage and you should have the best, you know, it was like, I feel like it was like peak millennial. We have to be overwhelmed through life, like right around the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I completely relate. And it's one of the hardest things for me to do is to just be. And if I'm really, really honest, the only time I can just be is when I'm around trees. That is when I connect. That's when I'm like, wow, this moss. Wow, this thing. Even when I meditate, it's really, I still meditate mostly for emotional regulation mm -hmm. to see that I have the space to hold a lot of emotions. So it's really only in nature where I feel like the most relaxed. It is medicine nature. Yeah. It's it, It's really, it's so simple. I, I wish more people tapped into that. Yeah. Because totally. again, that's one of those things you can step outside your door. Greg and I were just talking about that because he's selling his house and he works so hard on his yard and his trees and his succulents and his yeah. flowers. And he knows the name of the dichondria versus the demunda. And like, we love moss and nature. Exactly yeah. what you're speaking of. Like when we went to Hawaii, we were just in the like woods looking <laughs> at the different shades of green. Yeah. Like we yeah. get off on that yeah. stuff because it is, it in and of itself is healing, right? Like, oh, absolutely. It's just like, whoa. Like, but we were like, we're so weird. We're like, nobody does this, do they? Like, I, we'll like literally stop and like look at a flower and like, you know, I take pictures of flowers all yeah. the time. It's always on my social media. But it's, I think that that being present, it's yeah. really what it is. Instead of almost momentum coming out of you, it's just like being on the receiving end and yeah. how nice that can be. And that's a, a, a comfort, I think. So I understand yeah. your tree obsession. Yeah. I think that's such good medicine for anybody who does feel overwhelmed. Let's yeah. go, go I, outside. It's all, it's all the sparks. That's the thing is like when you go into nature, whatever sparked, you don't even have to believe in God, whatever, whatever sparked you, you know, like you're alive, also sparked all these other things that are 
pretty pure. Like you're never like, this tree sucks. <laughs> you know, like I don't like their attitude. <laughs> you're just around things that are inherently good and beautiful and came from some source that is connected to you. And mm-hmm. so that's for me why I think being in nature, but at the beginning, if you had told me just go on a hike, I'd be like, screw you. Like whatever nature. Yeah, I'm sure it's fine, but I don't have time and that can't work. And it's too woo woo and you're too out there. 100% that would have been my yeah. thought on it. Isn't it interesting though? Like, like again, look at the arc, look at where you've come, look at what you've, how you've changed and morphed your metamorphosis. It's yeah. really what's happening. It comes to people when it's their time yeah. and when they're ready, yes. I suppose, or yes. maybe just depending upon their level of pain. Because if you get totally. that uncomfortable or in that much pain, you will, you will start to awaken because you almost are forced to. I mean, so. look at my dad. He is 78 years old, which makes me really sad, you know, in a lot of ways that I haven't had time with this version of him. But oh my God, he's 78 and he is making all these changes that are not just for my benefit. He would tell you that for the first time, he feels like a a human, Mm. like a whole human, Mm. you know? And Mm. I don't know that he could have done it any sooner. As much as I wish, I think it's, you got to get to the point where you want to change. And then you do some of the work. You don't just talk about it. You yes. actually do it. And I just want to remind people that here's the cool thing. Like whenever you're ready, it's available. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. It's there. It's waiting for you. Mm-hmm. You're also, P.S., your essential self, the stardust self, also just waiting for you. Like you don't need to grasp at it. You don't have to go find it. It just already is mm-hmm. for whenever you're ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just so proud of you. It's Thank so crazy. You. We've talked about this moment for so long. It was like, hey, when your book comes out, we'll have to yes. put on the podcast. And like, here it is in my and hands. Now and I even is. got to chime in on the title. Yes. And Art. Yes. So Kat, when I first got all the covers, she, I was like, dude, and I texted her everything. And she gave me, I think this was one of the ones you chose. Yeah, I think it was too. So Whatever. Thank you it's for a that. Good one. It's a good one. It's incredible. And thanks for sharing with everybody mm-hmm. and letting me be a part of the ride and just being so you, your Eunice. Don't go changing all of it. And I want to thank you for all of your friendship and for being with me on so many of these walks where this is what we talked about and for always being my supporter. Like, thank you. I'm not going anywhere. Love mm-hmm. you. Love you. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And a reminder, you can catch a brand new episode of It Sure Is a Beautiful Day every Tuesday. Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And of course, I'd love to hear from you. So leave me a rating and leave me a review. Also, follow us on social media for all the behind the scenes action and more info. That's at I am Kat Sadler on Instagram and at ABD with Cat. Talk to you next Tuesday. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death 
in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook Games.